Hello, greetings and welcome to another episode of Being Healthy, the Shaolin Way. Um, today we're going to further explore mysticism, transcendentalism, and esotericism. Um, scholarly approaches of mysticism and mystical experience is our topic today. Um, obviously, Zainer distinguishes three fundamental types of mysticism, namely theistic, monistic, and panetic all-in-one or natural mysticism. The theistic category includes most form of Jewish, Christian, and Islamic mysticism, and occasional Hindu examples, such as Ramanuja or the Bhagavad Gita. The monistic type, which according to Zainer, is based upon an experience of the unity of one's soul, includes Buddhism and Hindu schools, such as Samya, Advaita Veda, Vedanta rather, Nature mysticism seems to refer to um, examples that do not fit into one of these two categories. Walter Terence states in his books, Mysticism and Philosophy, distinguish two types of mystical experience, namely extrovertive and introvertive mysticism. Extrovertive mysticism is an experience of the unity of the external world, whereas introverted mysticism is an experience of unity devoid of perceptual objects. Stace argues that doctrinal differences between religious traditions are inappropriate criteria when making cross-cultural ex- comparisons of mystical experiences. Since the 19th century, mystical experience has evolved as a distinctive concept. It is closely related to mysticism, but lays sole emphasis on the experiential aspect, be it spontaneous or reduced by he- human behavior, whereas mysticism encompasses a broad range of practices aiming at transformation of the person, not just inducing mystical experiences. William James' The Variety of Religious Experience is a classic study on religious or mystical experience, which influenced deeply both the academic and popular understanding of religious experience. He popularized the use of the term religious experience in his varieties and influenced the understanding of mysticism as a distinctive experience which supplies knowledge of the transcendental. Yet Gelman noticed that so-called mystical experience is not a transitional event, as William James claimed, but an abiding consciousness accompanying a person throughout the day or parts of it. For that reason, it might be better to speak of mystical consciousness, which can be either fleeting or abiding. Now, I disagree with that. Um... The long-term effects would be a transcendental experience, and the mystical experience would be a transitional event. Now, the term mystical experience evolved as a distinctive concept since the 19th century, laying sole emphasis on the experiential aspect, be it spontaneous or induced by human behavior. Perennialists regard those various experience traditions as pointing to one universal transcendental reality for which these experiences offer proof. Now, this position is now largely dismissed by scholars and the contextual approach has become the common approach. Contextualism takes into account the historical and cultural context of mystical experiences. The attribution approach views mystical experience as non-ordinary states of consciousness, which are explained in a religious framework. According to Proudfoot, mystics unconsciously merely attribute a 
doctrinal content to ordinary experiences. That is, mystics project cognitive content onto otherwise ordinary experiences, having a strong emotional impact. But there's another field of study, the neurological research. Now, neurological research takes an empirical approach, relating mystical experiences to neurological processes. This leads to a central philosophical issue. Does the identification of neural triggers or neurocorrelates of mystical experiences prove that mystical experiences are no more than brain events? Or does it merely identify the brain activity occurred during a genuine cognitive event? And debate rages back and forth on this. The most common positions, however, are that neurology reduces mystical experience or that neurology is neutral to the issue of mystical cognitivity. But is that really true? Now, interest in mystical experiences and psychedelic drugs has also recently seen a resurgence. The temporal lobe seems to be involved in mystical experiences and in the change in personality that may result from such experiences. It generates the feeling of I and gives a familiar a feeling of familiarity or strangeness to the perception of the senses. There is long-standing notion that epilepsy and religion are linked, and some religious figures may have had temporal lobe epilepsy. The anterior insula may be involved in ineffability, a strong feeling of certainty which cannot be expressed in words, which is a common quality in mystical experiences. According to Picard, this feeling of certainty may be caused by dysfunction of the anterior insula, a part of the brain which is involved in interoception, self-reflection, and in avoiding uncertainty about the internal representations of the world by anticipation of resolution of uncertainty or risk. Now, this gets to an interesting point because it kind of reinforces the neurological research that mysticism, while it's just present in the mind, is a brain event and as opposed to a genuine cognitive event. Now, mysticism and morality. A philosophical issue in the study of mysticism is the relation of mysticism to morality. Albert Schweitzer presented the classic account of mysticism and morality being incompatible. Arthur Danto also argued that morality is at least incomparable, incompatible rather, <laughs> with Indian mystical beliefs. Now, let me repeat. Arthur Danto also argued that morality is at least incompatible with Indian mystical beliefs. Walter Stace, on the other hand, argued not only are mysticism and morality they're both compatible, but that mysticism is the source and justification of morality. Others studying unique multiple mystical traditions have concluded that the relation of mysticism and morality is not as simple as that. Richard King also points to disjunction between mystical experience and social justice. The privatization of mysticism, that is, the increasing tendency to locate the mystical in the psychological realm of personal experiences, serves to exclude it from political issues such as social justice. Mysticism thus becomes seen as a personal matter of cultivating interstates of tranquility and economity, which rather than seeking to transform the world, seek to accommodate the individual to the status quo through alleviation of anxiety and stress. 
all this hangs on the balance if mystical experience are cognitive events, genuine cognitive events, as opposed to brain events. In the one hand, they are, and the other other hand, they aren't. So if you can experience mystical events in your mind in accordance with um, altering the mind's chemistry by psychedelic drugs or by focused meditation, this seems to give correlation, strong correlation, to it being merely a brain event. So next time we'll explore this a little further. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the monks of the Shaolin Temple, visit us at shaolintempleus.org or our new website, healthytaichi.com. And if you'd like to donate to this program, uh, please send by PayPal to rick, R-I-C-K, at feraldemore.com. That's F-E-R-R-E-L-D-M-O-O-R-E.com. Until next episode, namaste.